Uh, g'day, my name's Adam Draycott and welcome. You are watching the online ministry of St. Augustine's Anglican Church in Varel. Uh, this has been prepared for the 18th of June 2023. As we begin, let's bow our heads in prayer. Thank you, Father, that your love never fails. Thank you, Father, that you hear us when we pray. Bless this time together as we sing, as we read your word, as we hear it explained, as we come to you in prayer. Uh, be at work by your spirit, growing us in Christ Jesus. We ask this in his precious name. Amen. Let's have a time of praise.
Friends, our Bible readings come from Psalm 16. Um, please take a moment to read that out loud. Wherever you are, whomever you're with, don't not read the scriptures. And of course, our preaching passage today is all, uh, pretty much all of Acts chapter 13 and chapter 14. Um, as you read that, remember this is Paul's first missionary journey. So just take note of where he stops, the different locations, and what happens in those different places. If you're in church watching this online, g'day. Uh, you might like to read Acts 14 verses 8 to 28. Uh, that would be enormously helpful if you've got time uh, you might read verses 1 to 7 as well. Well, as we share God's word together, uh, let me pray. Father God, again, we thank you that we can gather in this way. Feed and nurture us through the ministry of your word. Show us the glory and wonder that is your son, Jesus and lead us in the way of repentance and faith. We ask for your help in his precious name. Amen. Sometimes being a Christian can feel like we're playing an away game. Do you know what an away game means? Uh, I'd never been to an NRL game before. Rabbitohs versus Panthers. Uh, I turn up and it's red and green everywhere. And I even wore my retro Panthers jumper thinking, oh, maybe no one will notice if I counsel myself. Uh, but there it is. I went looking for merch. Nothing Penrith related to be found. It was all red and green. Opposition supporters were relegated to a small corner of the stadium. My team would run out and they would be booed. One player, every time he touched the ball, got heckled. Every time my team made a mistake... Over the sound system in the stadium, they'd play Justin Timberlake's Cry Me a River. This was enemy territory. It was hostile, intimidating, 
all your enthusiasm for your team, they sought to squash. So let me ask you again, you're a Christian. In this moment, inside the doors of your church, if you're in church or enjoying the safety of your headphones, maybe, uh, maybe you right now you're experiencing the home ground feels, but what happens when we leave and mix with our neighbours or our colleagues or even our families and we engage with news reports or media and we realise we're actually sitting on the fringe, on the margins, where we're scrutinised or even cancelled. Can you hear the boos and disdain of our society today? We delve into Acts now. This is Paul's first missionary journey. And in verses 1 to 3 of chapter 13, the whistle blows and there's a kickoff. Barnabas and Paul are on their way, if you like. And the first stop is Cyprus. Ever been there? It's in an island in the Mediterranean. And what happens there? Well, notice their strategy, verse 5. It is to proclaim the word of God uh, in, in the synagogues to the Jews. This should have a home game kind of feel about it. It is where Barnabas is from and they're fellow Jews, right? And so this should be fertile ground for ministry. Uh, the last stop on Cyprus is a place called Paphos, which is the capital city, verse 6. In verse 7, we meet the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. Sounds important. It says, quite literally, he's an intelligent man. He sent for Barnabas and Paul. Why? Verse 7, he wanted to hear the word of God. And so we've got the home game kind of feels here, don't we? But of course, in this story, who gets in the way? Well, verse 6, it's a Jewish sorcerer, a false prophet. Um, magic is expressly forbidden in God's law. Deuteronomy 18, verses 10 to 11. He is a false prophet. This bloke has turned to the dark side. Guys like him were all too common in the Roman world. They were engaged by aristocrats, governors, emperors. But not content to abandon God's word, this bloke will do his best to turn others away as well. Uh, Elymas, as, as he is also called, the artist formerly known as Bar-Jesus, is there in verse 8. It's the same bloke. Elymas, the sorcerer, because that's what his name means, opposed them, that's Barnabas and Saul, and tried to turn the proconsul, that's his boss, from the faith. Now we're feeling like it's an away game. Things have shifted because now there's opposition. Verse 9, then Saul... He was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, You are the child of the devil. You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. 
Will you not never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. And immediately mist and darkness came over him and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Reminds you of anything? Uh, maybe it reminds you of Jesus in chapter 8, verse 44 of John's Gospel, where he's speaking to the Jews and he says, You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. There's no truth in him. You're his children. Oh dear, it reminds me of that. The proconsul wants to hear the word of God. Elymas wants to be a roadblock actively turn the proconsul from faith. And so judgment comes to Elymas. Application, easy, really bad idea to contend against God and his purposes. Really bad idea. Notice this is where Luke reverts from using Saul, which is a Hebrew name, now he's using Paul, uh, the Roman name. People had both names. Sometimes they had three. And often they would sound similar, just like Saul sounds like Paul. Notice, Paul is not renamed from Saul. The idea that Jesus renamed Saul the persecutor to become Paul the apostle is a myth. It's not biblical. It didn't happen. Shocking, I know. He is a missionary on a journey venturing into predominantly Roman environments now, beyond Judea, and using Paul reflects this movement in the narrative. See, when in Rome, right? What else does this scene remind us of? We talked about Jesus, didn't we? What about the Damascus Road? It should remind you of that. The experience of Saul? Absolutely. People then might ask, well, why doesn't God show mercy to Elymas like he did Saul? We might ask, how is it fair? Answer, why should God show mercy to anybody? That God would show mercy to anybody is incredible. God showed grace to you because you think it's fair? Jesus died on the cross for you, what, because you think it was fair? Seriously? Tell me, what is fair about mercy? What is fair about grace? Hmm. It also means whether it's Saul who devoured Christ's church, remember, or Elymas, who's a dead set dirtbag here, um, I don't know who God will redeem. Who he will or he or who he won't. That's not 
That's not for me. God's grace is all God's grace. It's his. Exodus 33, 19. When the Lord God says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I'll have compassion on whom I will have compassion. That's God. That's, that's his department. So who is the recipient of grace here? Well, that's verse 12. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed. He was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. It's good news. So opposition may rise like it did here in Paphos. But there's no such thing as an away game for God. That's pretty cool. Let me say it again. There is no such thing as an away game for God. All right, let's go somewhere else. Next stop, verse 14. We're going to land in Pisidian Antioch. Different Antioch to the one we landed in chapter 12. Now, is this going to have a home game feels or away game feels? Well, let's look at verse 14 from Perga. They went on to Pisidian Antioch. On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. And after reading from the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you had a, have a word of exhortation with the people, please speak. Well, this is going swimmingly. Paul, of course, launches, you give a preacher a microphone, away he goes. But notice, as he preaches, it's laid in God's grace. And I'm going to move real quick here. So look, verse 17, the God of Israel chooses, uh, chose our ancestors. Again, that's grace. That God will choose anyone is all of his grace. I've said that. Verse 17, he made them prosper in Egypt. Can you see he delivered them more grace? In verse 18, for more than 40 years he endured their conduct in the wilderness. So he was patient. That's grace. More grace. He gave them the promised land. That's grace. He gave them leaders, judges and kings. That's grace. And from King David, as you see there in verse 23, from King David, verse 23, the Saviour Jesus appeared just as God promised, more grace upon grace. Then verse 26, let's pick it up there again. Fellow children of Abraham. See, we're fellow children. And you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent, right? So here is your chance to recognize it. Because verse 27, the people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus and his salvation. See his strategy? Verse 28, though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, so they asked Pilate to have him executed. Verse 29, when they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him out in the tomb. And here comes the grace. Look at verse 30. But God raised him from the dead. Verse 31. And for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They're now witnesses to our people. See, remember Stephen? And he preached a sermon similar to this one. Did he get this far? Did he get about this far? And then what happened? It all went away game, right? Yeah. But notice... Paul makes uh, progress here, again, which is God's grace. Verse 32, well, we tell you the good news. What God promised our ancestors, he's fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. Hallelujah. 
Verse 34, God raised him from the dead so that he will never be subject to decay. Verse 35, God would not let his Holy One see decay. Verse 37, God raised him, no decay. This is a good news story. Jesus is risen from the dead. Which can I, just as a sidebar application, uh, when I see a crucifix in some churches, including our own, I, I just struggle. I think it's unhelpful. Jesus doesn't stay dead on the cross like he's still paying for our sins. There's no assurance there. An empty cross means that our forgiveness is assured. He is risen means that the debt of sin is paid. He is raised without decay, right? Meaning we'll be raised without decay as well. That's the gospel. And that's all of God's grace. And this is why the Protestant cross is an empty cross, because he is risen. He is risen. And we too are his resurrection people. We live like he is alive, not still dead on a cross. Verse 38. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. What a promise. A justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. What the law could not do, but Jesus did on the cross. This has home game feels, doesn't it? Paul preaches grace. He preaches forgiveness. There's even a warning in verse 40 of how to take care about how you respond. In fact, this goes so well, they get a we want more kind of thing in verse 42. See verse 42, we want more. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. Come back, preach again. I mean, they've scored a goal. It's like Paul has put one in the back of the net. Even a week later, these guys are rock stars. It's so good. Look at verse 44. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Billy Graham, eat your heart out. This is so good. Can you see the home ground advantage? It swells. And Paul and Barnabas must be like, yeah, this is great. Time to slot another goal, Paul. Give another sermon on God's grace, Paul. Preach it, brother. So verse 45, what happens? When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with uh oh, je jealousy. And they began to contradict what Paul was saying and they heaped abuse on him. Well, wow, that went pear-shaped pretty quick. How quickly it changes. The opposition of that bloke Bar-Jesus or Elimus or whatever his name was and his resulting blindness is emulated here by the Jewish leaders. Do you see that? And you go, what did they, how did they forget Paul's sermon last week so quickly? <laughs> well, did you remember Matthew's sermon last week, by the way? Yeah, yeah. 
That's how quickly people forget. Verse 50. But the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. Paul preached grace and forgiveness last week. This week, they haven't even said anything. And they want to kill him, kick him out. Why? Verse 47 might be a clue. If you can cast your eye over verse 47, speaks to why the, maybe why the Jews were jealous. Maybe they did not want to be a light to the Gentiles. Maybe they don't want the ends of the earth to, to know God's salvation like they think they know it. Maybe they want to keep God all for themselves. God exists for me, not you. Who would think that? Do you think that? Do we believe God so loved the world? Is this why outreach is important? Is it why it's our core value number five? It's about reaching out. Core value number five, outreach. Reaching out. With a warm welcome, we reach out. With the good news of Jesus, we should uh, reach out. And not just locally, right? Not just locally, though that's important. Globally. Globally. The Jews' rejection of Paul and Barnabas is a rejection of Jesus. It's a rejection of his grace and the message of forgiveness. I mean, we're back in the realm of verse 27, chapter 14. 13, rather. But the gospel of grace is a message for the world. Such that verse 48, Gentiles, the nations, are glad this gospel's for them too. They honoured the word of the Lord and all who were appointed to eternal life, they believed. Yeah, it's an away game. Yeah, yeah, that happened. But you know, God put one back in the back of the net anyway, didn't he? God's grace will always have its way. God's grace will always have its way. And the disciples, does anything rob them of their joy? Well, verse 52, the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. They know God is at work in them and through them. All right, where are we going next? Let's go to Iconium, chapter 14. Uh, verse 1, same strategy you notice in our Iconium or Iconium. Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. All good, verse 2, but the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. There's Elimus again. That dirtbag. Uh, verse 5. There was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them. Um, but they found out about it and off they went. Got the division. Division is here. Is this home game feels or away game feels? Do we remember the words of Jesus in Luke 12, 51? Do you think I've come to bring peace on earth? No. I tell you, but division, right? Read those words. Think of those words. 
said no beauty queen pageant queen ever. They're not going to say that. Do you think I've come to bring peace on earth? No. The vision. That's what Jesus said. The word goes out. The gospel is proclaimed clearly. And the words of Jesus ring true. All right. Next stop, Lystra. We meet a different mob of people here. They're really different. And we must ask, how is this going to go? These guys are pagans. They're worshippers of Zeus and Hermes, Greek gods. Paul heals a guy in verse 10. The crowd sees it and they respond by worshipping Paul and Barnabas as divine, as gods. It's so bad they try and make sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas like they're gods and they're like, that's not great. No, thank you. Uh, remember Herod at the end of chapter 12? He didn't mind so much being revered as a god, did he? And how did that go? Yeah, he got eaten by worms and he died. That's right. Uh, Paul and Barnabas, they're, they're not having a bar of this. They are greatly distressed. See verse 15? We're only human. Uh, turn away from these other useless things, Paul says. That's, yeah, really diplomatic, Paul. Nice one. Turn to the true creator God. Verse 17, meet the one who sends the rain and fills your stomachs, but there is no talking them down. And if that's not bad enough, they can't talk them down. But what happens in verse 19? Dun, dun, dun. Some of the Jews, some of the Jews from Antioch and Iconium were there and they won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead from Antioch, not Pisidian Antioch, the other one up north of Jerusalem, that one from chapter 11 where Christians, disciples were first called Christians, that place, have they been following them? I went to read this and go, what is this? they're being hunted? And honestly, if that's not bad enough that they're being hunted, from Antioch and Iconium, that's not as far away. Honestly, think about what they said to these guys. What true Jew would object to anything that Paul has said here? Worship the one true God is the message. Unless, of course, they don't want the one true God to be shared with anybody. They'd rather hear even that message Um They seem to prefer that these pagans would stay in their paganism and idolatry and sin and worldliness. And worse, not only is that bad enough, let's dial it up in, and incite them to murder. Nice one. Well, I think as we've covered so much territory now, think of all that has happened to Paul and Barnabas. No, this is all along. It's an away game, guys. There's no home game or away. This is away. They're playing away. And as I read this, I go, at what stage do I give up and go home? And just chuck it in. I mean, look at verse 20. After the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city because that's what you do after people have tried to stone you to death. It doesn't say how that went, but the next day he and Barnabas left for Derby. 
where they preach the gospel and won a large number of disciples. Then they go back to Lystra, back to Iconium, and then back to Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true in the faith. They have come full circle. See, what does it keep saying? Uh, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Heaven is our home. Heaven's our home. But as we head there with the gospel, it's going to feel like one constant away game all the time. So we must not be unrealistic about the opposition we will face as followers of Christ. Unrealistic expectations about our witness will cause us to doubt. We need to read chapter 13 and 14 and kind of get with the program. See, think, was the missionary journey dangerous? Yep. Was their life in imminent danger? Yep. Did the enemy hunt them and poison others, white-anting God's work? Yep. Uh, were the enemies high-ranking leaders and people of influence? Yep. Did they visit all these places? Did they all have like the away-game away feels? Yep. Was the opposition hostile, intimidating and um, confidence-sapping? Yep. Absolutely. And did God preserve Paul and Barnabas? Well, ultimately, yeah, but Paul nearly died. So much for the prosperity gospel, if you're an advocate. I hope you're not. But did the, Lord, did the word of the Lord spread? Yes, it did. Will we meet the proconsul in heaven? Well, it sounds like it. Will we meet the Gentiles from Pisidian Antioch and the large number of disciples from Derby and Lystra and Iconium and Antioch where they were strengthened and encouraged to remain true? Will we go and meet these guys in heaven one day? Yeah, how cool will that be? Our brothers and sisters. Friends, do you see that the risen Christ is on his throne? That these are the acts of the risen Christ that we're reading about. That every time God puts one in the net, no, the risen Christ is continuing his work in this world through his people. And so, friends, you've got to persist with your witness. Despite opposition, this tells me it's the norm, but we are God's co-workers. And God will see his purposes fulfilled. If he wants to see his purposes fulfilled, God will do what God does. And so we've got to trust him. We've got to trust that as we see in chapters 13 and 14, that grace will always have its way. So we stick with grace and we don't stray from that. We remember the words of Jesus that if this world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. Or again in John 16, 33, if the world, yeah, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. We see that in these chapters, vividly true. Nothing stops Jesus. Not rejection, not threats, not poisonous people, not death. It is an away game every time, to be sure. 
But victory always belongs to Jesus. Grace wins. Grace wins every time. Jesus called the crowd to him along with the disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Mark 8.34 Take up your cross. To you, For you to take up your cross means that you're going to be rejected by the world on account of the gospel. The world will reject you. Every day is an away game. True for Jesus, true for his church and all who follow him. But keep going. Go with grace. To, be, to go with grace is to go with the side of victory. God does not forsake us. He does not abandon us. He gives us resources. We have his word. We have the gospel. We have prayer. We have one another whom we're called to serve. We have Jesus who sends his Holy Spirit and gives us grace and reminds us of, our, of his grace and reminds us of the promise of being at home with God now and forever. Brothers and sisters, go with grace. Stick with Jesus because he's worth it. Amen.
Friends, uh, we've spent time in the ministry of God's word that reflects our first core value, biblical teaching. It is important for us to have a time of prayer and we've already spent time praying. And I invite you now uh, to spend some time, whoever you are, wherever you are and whomever you're with, don't not pray. Prayer is what Christians do. It's like breathing. Spend some time returning thanks to God. Find three things to be thankful for. As you think about what to pray about, open up the text and ask God for courage to remain true, no matter opposition. I think we can take that from our text today. We can thank God that grace wins, but also the petitionary prayer is that we'd stick with Jesus even though every day feels like an away game as a Christian, uh, we thank you, Father, that Jesus has the victory no matter what. So stick with Jesus. Pray to that end. There are other models of prayer in the Bible, which I've pointed you to, to before with the Lord's Prayer. And the Apostle Paul has some excellent prayers as well. Look them up and, and pray them. I highly recommend it. Uh, on the blue screen in a moment will be some other prayer points that might be helpful to you, especially if you're part of the St. Augustine's family. So I commend that to you as well. Shepherd will defend 
Let me close with the words of blessing from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Brothers and sisters, let's go out and live for Christ. Amen.